staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I believe Mr. Mueller's report is going to come back and show that there was no collusion, which, by the way, is not a crime, but there's no collusion, nothing with the Trump uh, administration, what they're going to find in the president himself. The situation at our southern border has gone from a crisis to a national emergency to a near system-wide meltdown. Congress is still trying to undo his national emergency declaration. The president tweeting a reminder he hasn't soon forgotten. Those Republican senators who voted in favor of strong border security and the wall are being uniformly praised as they return to their states. They know there is a national emergency at the southern border and they had the courage to act. Great job. Every state's a border state. Every town's a border town until we secure the southern border. And the president is correct in taking the step to veto this resolution. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. We have hour two live and direct to you right now. We're gonna speak to Joseph Sempervivo. He is from the Job Creators Network. He's also a business owner. He's going to join us to talk about, um, we just, we have to talk about the Democrats pushing the biggest tax, cre- tax increase you've never heard of. Uh, that's right. Another piece of news that you've never heard of that is totally detrimental to job creation. And their messaging is so effective. And you know what I mean by that? I mean that they are so effective in their messaging that good, intelligent Christian people are running around saying things like, well, I don't know if they're actually creating any jobs. I don't know if the people who own the businesses in this country are actually creating any jobs. I mean, I know they say they're using the tax cut to create jobs, but I don't actually know if they're actually doing that. I mean, they might just be saying that. That is CNN and MSNBC echoing around in people's brains, just clearing out the good brain cells and replacing them with, you know, inoperable brain cells that don't, they don't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. So we're going we're gonna to get into that. We also have, um, you know, this citizenship question. The Democrats are holding hearings on the constitutionality of that. Like it's not okay for the government to do something they've done many, many years before. The citizenship question was on the books and was used during the census on many previous census uh, that, that have been issued. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. It was never a problem before, but now it is. You know why it's a problem now? Because if Americans knew there were 40 million illegal aliens in this country, there'd be a problem. Yeah, they, Americans would probably not be too happy about that. Yeah, because that's a huge number. That is an invasion force. No offense to anyone who's here illegally, who is a good, kind person, who only broke the law one time. I get it. Uh, it's, not, it's not like I don't, I get it. You're still here illegally. And if there's 40 million of you, it's a problem, okay? Um, so we're also gonna talk about Dan Rather smearing the president and saying that his, he has the most powerful platform for propaganda in human history. In other words, because the, the president has a Twitter account with a bunch of people on it, it has to be a propaganda platform. But it wasn't a propaganda platform for Barack Obama, who has twice as many Twitter followers as President Trump. You see the double standard there? Hypocrisy reigns supreme with these people. All right. Right now, I want to do this, um, this is audio from this mom um, who wants a teacher fired for using a Ouija board with her kindergartner. I mean, I just cannot believe this. It's number one. 
apparently the teacher had a Ouija board similar to this one inside her classroom since October and the kids wanted to hear a scary story so she showed them how to play this. He tells me everything that happens at school. This was new to him, I think. A Milwaukee mom too upset to show her face, but wants other parents to know what's really going on inside her five-year-old son's classroom at Zablocki Elementary. On Friday, she says her son came home from kindergarten and told her his teacher used a Ouija board. They were shutting off the lights and shutting the windows or whatever and making it dark and spooky and talking to spirits. That's not something that should be at school. When the mother emailed the teacher, this is part of the response she got, quote, the kids have been asking for a scary story and I got the board and moved the paper clip to answer some of their questions. They asked about scary characters in movies. I did not say there were spirits. The family says the children are just too young to be exposed to the concepts of Ouija boards and the teacher should just stick to the curriculum. Now her five-year-old is having nightmares. He's scared now to go to bed at night, to be in the dark, anything alone. And the mother wants the teacher fired. We did reach out to the Milwaukee Public School District to get a response about this. We have not heard back from them tonight. Joyce and Patrick. Okay, so first of all, um, let's lay some groundwork for the conversation. If you are a Christian, then you should already be aware that dealing in the occult is bad. And there are many, many examples in scripture, but the one that comes to mind most readily for me is in the Old Testament when Saul had, uh, he, he was going to go to war with the Philistines and he was afraid because they were arrayed against him. And it was like clear that he would, he might lose the battle. And he had fallen, you know, from grace. He wasn't, he wasn't praying. He wasn't receiving regular um, information from, from, you know, the, the, the spiritual leader, he just was out of the loop and he knew that he couldn't just simply pray and ask God. So, and, and he, what he should have done at that point was he should have repented. If he had repented, then he could have heard from the Lord, but he decided not to do that. So he sought out a woman who, you know, basically spoke to the spirits, uh, a divining person, someone that wasn't permitted to be in his country because he had sent them all away because God had told them to. He said, you can't have these people in the nation of Israel. So Saul sent them away. So he disguised himself, took off his kingly robes and disguised himself and went to this woman and asked her to seek out the spirits so that he could find out uh, what, what was going to happen with, with, with the, the coming conflict. And because of that, God punished him severely because he sought out the, the spirit realm instead of relying on God. And so we're talking about the games of chance. It includes gambling. It includes, you know, what's your horoscope? Nothing. I don't have a horoscope. What's, what's your uh, uh, sign? No, I don't have a sign. You know, you're born in this month and you might have some behaviors that are similar to other people who are born that month, but that is nothing but dividing the spirits is what that is. So astrological signs, nope, don't have one. Nope, 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 nope. And so these Ouija boards are especially insidious because it's a game. It's geared towards ensnaring children. And see, when you open the door to the occult, you can't say, oh, well, you can come in, but those other crazy looking whacked out spirits, you know, mental illness and all that, y'all can't come in. You know, you can't, you can't control it. We as human beings are not powerful enough to stand up on our own to the occult world, which is why God tells us to stay away from it.
Uh, so you hear this teacher, um, and she's she's basically saying these children, um, they wanted to hear a scary story, so I used a paper clip and a Ouija board, and you know we we turned the lights out, and now the little boy whose mom wants this lady fired, the little boy's having nightmares because he has been exposed to the occult. He's been exposed to the spirit world where demons are operating. And so this mom has every reason to want the teacher fired, but her first action has to be that she takes the little boy to a God-fearing Christian person, someone who's been long and strong in the faith. And it has to be not just that pastor or that spiritual leader, but also some others have to gather together so that they can pray over him and bring him back. All of the little kindergartners in the room need that, but especially the one who's having the nightmares. So I'm going to give you a couple of Bible verses here. Revelation 21, eight says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So it says the sorcerers, idolaters, liars. That's the group you're in if you're practicing the occult. Leviticus 26 says, 20 verse 6 says, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and I will cut him off from among his people, which is what happened to Saul. He, he died a horrible death and all of his whole family, except very, say very few of his, his uh, you know, extended family were spared all of his sons, even Jonathan, who was, you know, he was an upstanding, upright individual who had a covenant relationship with David and friendship. The sons were killed in, in a horrible way because of him going into the occult. Revelation 21, eight says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. I know I just read it. There it is again. I, I stress this enough. Isaiah eight nineteen. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. That's that, that Ouija board. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? It just makes no sense to ask dead folks to tell you what's going to happen when you can just say to the Lord, I don't know what's happening here. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to do? And then no audible voice. The Lord will, he will direct you. You don't have to go into, well, I'm going to check out my horoscope. Stop doing that. Second Chronicles 33, six says, and he burned his sons as an offering in the Valley of the son of Hinnom and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So that's what happens when we get the Ouija boards out. And we're like, it's just a game. We're provoking God to anger. We're dealing in evil and we shouldn't do it. And so the Bible calls the name of Jesus. It says it's, it's our, it's our shield. It's our portion at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that includes the demons and everybody else. But you're not supposed to open the door up and invite them in and then try to deal with them yourself. This is not our fight to win. You know, we were talking on Friday about how culturally in America, we have this whole thing about, you know, angels are so cute. They're cherubs. One of the people in the comments, I didn't, I didn't read it until afterwards said um, one of the 
angels in the Bible. This has happened more than one time in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The, the angel, the, so the angel of the Lord is sent to strike Israel and, the, and he's about to destroy the entire nation. He's killed 70,000 people in, in moments. And he's about to, you know, basically rear up and, and, and smite them all down. And God is like, wait, <laughs> before the angel destroys everyone. So the angels fight the demons. So something that is so frightening, we think it's God when we encounter it and it makes us pass out, fights the demons. So you think you're going to rear your little old self up, you'll, your little 160 pound self, you're going to rear up and use a Ouija board and invite a whole bunch of occult spirits in and then you're going to deal with it yourself. You really think really highly of yourself, don't you? <laughs> no, you're not. You're not the angel of the Lord. And God has specifically told us to stay out of that, which includes the Ouija boards, which means you have to be careful about where you let your children, the spinning of the night, the, you know, oh, we're going over to play board games. Which board games are you going to play? Do you guys by chance, you know, have a Ouija board here? You know, just check it out. There's, there's no harm in asking. If somebody gets mad, yeah, we do. Then, you, oh, well, we don't want our child playing with that. Maybe let's have the sleepover at our house. I can't tell you how many times somebody has wanted the kids to come over and I get a little, I'm like, hmm, I'm, let's have the sleepover at our house. And then I know if it's at our house, there's no Ouija boards here. And so they'll get to, you know, only watch the clean movies and what have you. And, and if that sounds like a control, a control freak to you, there it is with the kids. Absolutely. And if there's a problem with it and the other parent doesn't want to do it that way, it has to be at their house and they don't want to talk about what they have over there. Then there's just, they're down one kid because the, the kid that comes from this house ain't going. That's how you, that's how you handle that. If you can't be like that about your own kids, then how, when, when do you ever get to be like that? It's the one time you get to throw away all of the, the niceties and societal conventions and just deal. You know what I'm saying? It's your kid. What are you going to do? What's the other person going to do? Make your kid come over? Control that and keep away from the occult. That is what God has told us to do. And who are we to question it? I mean, is it that much fun? No, you're not getting anything out of it. So just leave it alone. All right. Now, Representative Jim Jordan was commenting on this issue, pivoting over to the census question. Oh, my goodness. That's the whole segment. We'll get to that in the third segment. It's him talking about how the Democrats don't want to know how many citizens are in the country. But when we get back, we're going to have Joseph Sempervivo of Job Creators Network. He's a business owner, and he's going to be talking to us about this new tax. Stay there. In a move most Christians probably never expected to see, Walmart has created and is promoting a Facebook video ad that normalizes homosexual relationships. And they need to hear from you. The ad is part of a campaign released on Valentine's Day called Love is in the Isle, a dating show at Walmart. Episode 2 features Pat and Andy, two homosexual men on a blind date as they meet at the store and shop together and discover whether or not they're compatible. Please sign the American Family Association petition to Walmart asking them to remove this pro-homosexual video and remain neutral on controversial issues. It's clear that Walmart is on the path to elevating homosexual relationships to the same level as the male-female model of marriage. Sam Walton must be turning over in his grave. Let Walmart hear from their Christian customers. We'll present the petition at corporate headquarters March 20th. Please sign our Walmart petition today at afa.net. That's afa.net. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. In a recent column, David French reminds us that not so long ago, religious liberty lawyers were a quirky, somewhat cool, and tiny subset of the legal profession. They were defending the rights of homeschool families and the religious rights of Native American Indians. You could fit the entire religious liberty bar in a single mid-sized hotel conference room. That is no longer true today. He calls these conservative religious liberty lawyers the virtual SEAL Team 6 of the culture war with multiple organizations raising collectively close to $200 million annually to do battle in courtrooms from coast to coast. One lawyer on my radio program said he was going to frame this piece because it's the only time someone will compare him to a SEAL Team member. The broader point is that America has changed. A few decades ago, you could assume that the U.S. was largely a single-faith culture. Today, it is a two-faith nation, the sacred and the secular. That is why religious liberties are so controversial. The secular world sees any attempt to provide a space for religion as a zero-sum game. One illustration is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that passed a few decades ago with only three dissenting votes. Chuck Schumer introduced it into the House, while Ted Kennedy introduced it into the Senate. Bill Clinton signed it into law with virtually no controversy. Now Representatives Joe Kennedy and Bobby Scott, along with Senator Camilla Harris, have reintroduced legislation to amend the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Do No Harm Act would prevent individuals from getting a religious exemption from many of our federal laws. Religious liberty wasn't very controversial a few decades ago. Today it has become a major flashpoint in the culture wars. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Very, very, very happy to be with you today. And I hope that, um, I hope you're receiving all this information in the spirit with which it is given, which is, it's information. Um, and I'm, I really, I just want to stress one more time, we've got unplannedfilm.com. That's the website where you can find out more about Unplanned, the movie. It's the Abby Johnson story. And we're really, you know, I, I feel like it was kind of providential that I got to go this weekend because... I'd gotten the flyer at the luncheon the day before and I put it with my things. And then of course, you know, getting in the car and putting everything away um, that ended up going into the door pocket of my vehicle. And then Saturday I was busy trying to unplug and just hang out with my husband. So we're just sitting up mindlessly watching television when I got a text message saying, Hey, I know you're busy and everything, but did you, did you get the flyer and are you coming tonight? Uh, from Helen. I'm like, oh, what does she mean? And then I'm like, oh, the flyer. Oh, I must have gotten that yesterday. And before my mind could catch up, she just texted me back and said, tonight, six o'clock VIP reception. Are you going to be there or not? <laughs> I was just like, Roddy, are we going to this? And he was like, yeah, sure. What else are we going to do? Because we, you know, we had one kid in Chicago, one in some indis- undisclosed location doing a track meet, um, the college one. And then our son who he, you know, he had plans. <laughs> so it was just my husband and I. So we went and we were blessed. I remember thinking, just stay home and relax. You don't have to work on the weekend. And that was the enemy trying to steal from me. And I, I'm so glad we went. So 
unplannedfilm.com. That's where you can find out more. Uh, let's get to our guest, Joseph Sempervivo, Job Creators Network. He, Joseph is also the president and CEO of Joseph's Light Cookies based in Sebastian, Florida. Hey, Joseph, thanks for joining the show today. Oh, thanks so much for, for having, uh, having me today. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to talk to you about this uh, tax, the biggest tax increase that we've never heard of. I'm not surprised that it's connected to Democrats, but what exactly is going on here? Yeah, so the, the Democrats thought they could be sly this time and get 200 Democratic co-sponsors for this H.R. 860. And Rep- Representative John Larson, he's a Democrat out of Connecticut. What he wants to do is tax the middle class, uh, the 60 million workers that work for the 30 million small businesses out there. He wants to tax them an additional 2.4% um, for Social Security which means that it becomes an employer obligation and put extra pressure on those low-margin low employers like restaurateurs, et cetera. So what is the reasoning behind wanting to do this? Because I, I always like to try to understand if, if they're proposing it, they must have a rationale by which they feel this would be a good idea. Well, I think behind most bills, there's there's some innocence behind it, and the the unintended consequences don't pop off the page. But in this situation, as oh well, the Social Security Administration report, which uh, was released in 20, uh, 2018, said well by the year of 2032, 2034, Social Security will not have all the funds to meet their mandates um, for paying uh, the retirees. 100% of their benefits, and it would have to drop down in the 70s. So the only way to do it is obviously like most business owners, even like yourself, you would look at it and say, well, there's only two things I can do to save um, a company or Social Security. One is reduce expenses. Two is increase revenue. So in, from a government standpoint, increased revenue, we all know, means increased taxes. So they came out and said, wait a minute, let's penalize the small business owner, which is 30 million in the United States, and make them be responsible for the the tax increase. And when you further extrapolate that, that's like 1.3 million realtors in the United States. Um, same is true with Uber drivers, um, Lyft drivers, Airbnb owners, um, all individuals that do 1099, insurance salespeople, engineer, dentist, et cetera. Well, they pay 100% of that social security tax. There is, there is no employer. The individual is the actual employer. So for $100,000 in income, they pay all $14,800 according to uh, Larson's proposal. So it will be an extra burden for each individual in those categories and in industry. And again, how much of an extra burden would that be percentage-wise? You know, twenty. It would be two point four percent. So it would be twenty four hundred. So, like for example, let's look at a business that employs fifty people that pays each individual fifty thousand dollars. That's two point five million dollars in gross payroll. That employer already pays one hundred and fifty five thousand a year. They're going to pay an additional thirty thousand under Larson's proposal, which will take it to one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars a year in in uh, payroll tax. Uh, increase of, uh, you know, payroll tax increase. So that that's the difference of hiring a new employee. That's the difference of 
um, expanding the company, spending a little money in marketing, uh, doing radio advertising to promote your local pizza shop or hair salon or whatever. That's the difference of uh, that $30,000. And it hurts the economy. It hurts the middle class. The very people we're trying to protect. So, I mean, I just, so let's, let's, let's be real here. Democrats don't have, there's no tax that they don't like. There's no tax proposal where they're like, yeah, that's too much. The only reason they ever say, no, don't do that, is not because they don't want to do it, but because they know it would cause Democrats to lose seats in the House or the Senate. You know, it would be detrimental to their, you know, their livelihood of being in power. But when it comes down to it, any tax to them is a good tax, because if you're making any money, they should be able to tax it in any way that they see fit. And you just figure out how to get loopholes around it or make more money. That's the way they feel about it. Um, But in the big scheme of things, funding Social Security is a problem. Uh, The Democrats emptied those accounts out and they've never filled them back up. And so we've got lockboxes full of nothing. And we know that we're going to become insolvent for Social Security in 2025, I think it is. Might have lowered it to 2023. So it's around the corner. It's literally coming, looming, bearing down upon us. So what should we do? Because I'm, I'm against raising these taxes. I think it's the most idiotic way of solving the problem. But no one ever wants to hear legislation about cutting benefits or increasing the age of people when they receive their benefits. So what, what, what are we to do? Yeah, I, I, I love your solution-oriented uh, mind. So there's a couple things. So you're absolutely right. It was 2023 to 2025, Social Security becomes insolvent. But under the Trump administration, that has now been pushed out to 2034 because oh. with the booming economy, people make more money. And when they make more money, guess what? They pay more in Social Security taxes in the end because they're making more, especially all those 1099ers out there, you know, like the realtors, insurance people, Uber drivers, et cetera. Um, So one way is to grow the economy to the point where 2034 becomes 2044. Um, As more people, millennials, get jobs, then that would naturally be contributing to um, Social Security and kicking the can down the road even further. Um, Social Security is not an entitlement. I mean, people pay into it, so people deserve it. We're not opposed to those individuals drawing it down. To answer your question more specifically, though, I think you have to look at an organization like Job Creators Network that would have a very detailed plan, um, you know, with, with having people that are at zero age today not draw any Social Security um, at all and um, still be involved with the plan at a very low level from a tax standpoint. Uh, and then that would help fund that will help fund all the people and individual as from an actuarial standpoint, as they exit social security, you know, they pass away, et cetera, the burden becomes less and less. Um, and eventually when people are entering the workforce, you know, they're zero years old to 18, well, you're not going to get any social security. So the unfunded mandate from 50 years from now becomes zero. There is no unfunded mandate to somebody 18 today, is going to get no Social Security. So I think that's, that's what we need to start doing and expanding the age out a little bit um, for people, not that are retiring now, not retiring in 10 years, but retiring in 30, 40, 50 years. That age gets kicked out. Um, anybody who's 18 gets no Social Security. Wow. You're talking about apocalypse right there. <laughs> Because because the government's not going to stop like, you know, we we have kids in that age range and the government's not going to stop collecting the money that 
they say is going to Social Security. But you're saying they'll pay in, but they won't get out. The the 18-year-olds of today will pay in, but they won't get any benefits because there's nothing for them to get. They're paying for the people who've already retired. Well, I'm not even, I'm not even, look, I'm not a social security solvency expert by any means. My, my, my approach, my approach from the social security solution standpoint is, look, there's only two things you can do. You can cut, you know, you can cut expenses or increase revenue. If we look at expenses, it's not cutting social security benefits. It's looking at how is social security administered? How can we make it more efficient and cutting the fat there? to make the Social Security Administration more efficient, thus saving money, grow the economy, that pushes it out longer from 2034, even further. We've already seen a decade under Trump's administration um, expanded um, for Social Security benefits. Um, And then let people know this is a cutoff. Mm -hmm. Um, Let it be scored and say, if, if people at zero age don't contribute, don't earn, um, how the solvency look if people at 18 years old don't earn, don't contribute, how the solvency look and people at 25 don't earn, don't contribute, how the solvency look. And, and we need to test that and score that and see, see how it is. But the big thing that we need to be focused on is bringing jobs back to America, mm-hmm. widening the net so more people have jobs that are earning because we know that there's 7 million jobs right now in the United States unfilled. How do we get those jobs filled? So those individuals are contributing to social security and therefore um, the solvency issue or insolvency issue in this case um, uh, gets fixed. So uh, first things first, Joseph, thank you for sharing that fact here on the show because I, I just feel terrible that the president doesn't get any credit for pushing back the insolvency to 20, like basically adding another 10 years on there. Um, I think that the, the legislators that we have elected, that the majority of them are so do nothing. They're just wring their hands and ignore the problems. But at least the president has given them 10 more years to, in which to do that with a strong economy. And also to small business owners like yourself, people who are out there creating jobs, creating a place in which people can work and earn money and contribute to the system and also be gainfully employed and, and to honor what God has for us to do. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the facts. Thank you for what you're doing as a job creator and um, also for the expertise here on the show today. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Fantastic. Joseph Sempervivo, Job Creators Network. Um, and I, I just want to say he's, he's got Joseph's Light Cookies based in Sebastian, Florida, and I love that. I love when someone says, this is, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And they get out there. And then other people are working because Mr. Simfervivo is out there with his business employing them. That is, that is, it's just so phenomenal. And when, when God gives us something to do, and then we say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to step my foot out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm scared of my foot getting run over, but I'm going to put it out there. And then before you know your legs out there, before you know it, you're all the way out there, your whole self, and you're not getting run over, you're doing some stuff. That's what more of us can do. And, and it's really, it's up to us to make that choice that we're going to do that. Um, so that was a great interview. I'm really glad to hear that about the insolvency date. Um, I didn't, I didn't have an updated number on that. So that's fantastic. Okay, let's listen to Representative Jim Jordan talking about the Democrats not wanting to know how many citizens are here. It's number two. For the life of me, I do not know why the Democrats don't want to know 
how many citizens are in the United States of America. But for some reason, they are focused on this question. Maybe it's politics. It seems clear to me we are having this hearing today for that reason. The majority insists on politicizing the 2020 census. Before we get too far into this sideshow, I want to, on the record, what the citizenship question actually asks. says this, is this person a citizen of the United States? The answers you can choose from are the following. Yes, born in the United States. Yes, born in Puerto Rico, Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yes, born abroad of a U.S. citizen parents or parents. Yes, a U.S. citizen by naturalization or no, not a U.S. citizen. That's it. The question doesn't even ask the next logical question. If you're not a citizen, citizen, are you in this country legally? While I strongly support asking if a person is in this country legally, I'm satisfied the public policy goal of enforcing the Voting Rights Act can be accomplished with just the citizenship question. I'd like to remind my colleagues the citizenship question is not new. It has appeared on previous decennial census questionnaires and is asked on the American Community Survey every single year. The majority apparently does not object to the American Community Survey asking a citizenship question, so I'd understand the majority's objection to the question now. It is the exact same question on both forms. Okay, so it's not an issue of the question being unlawful or racially motivated or an attempt to suppress votes. It's simply a question that has, was removed improperly and needs to be put back. And so if, if we're listening to the discussion on the other side of the aisle, it sounds like there's this awful travesty going on when the reality is there's nothing awful. It's, it's just a question that needs to be answered. And, you know, he goes on later in the audio and, you know, I, I, so I, I really like listening to uh, Jim Jordan when he's testifying or when he's up there, you know, he, he's, he's very thorough and detail oriented. And I learn a lot from, from, you know, listening to the questions that he asks or when he does take a few minutes of his time to devote to an issue. And I, I, I was surprised to hear him say, you know, there's even a follow-on question that they normally ask, which is, um, if you are not a citizen of this country, are you in the country legally? And that's not even a part of this debate. They're not even adding that part back. They're just asking people point blank, are you a citizen? So they've tested it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not illegal. It's just something that needs to be done. All right. Last segment of today's program is coming at you right after these messages. Stay there. In a move most Christians probably never expected to see, Walmart has created and is promoting a Facebook video ad that normalizes homosexual relationships, and they need to hear from you. The ad is part of a campaign released on Valentine's Day called Love is in the Isle, a dating show at Walmart. Episode two features Pat and Andy, two homosexual men on a blind date as they meet at the store and shop together and discover whether or not they're compatible. Please sign the American Family Association petition to Walmart asking them to remove this pro-homosexual video and remain neutral on controversial issues. It's clear that Walmart is on the path to elevating homosexual relationships to the same level as the male-female model of marriage. Sam Walton must be turning over in his grave. 
Let Walmart hear from their Christian customers. We'll present the petition at corporate headquarters March 20th. Please sign our Walmart petition today at afa.net. That's afa.net. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, do creationists sometimes use bogus arguments for creation? Unfortunately, they do, Chris. Some favorite arguments that sound so good really aren't well established. Thankfully, there is plenty of good evidence that creationists can use. One example of an outdated argument is the possible human footprints found in the same strata as dinosaur footprints in Texas. Now, I was one of the original developers of this theory and published the authoritative book on it. But the more research we did, the more we saw problems. So I removed my book from the market and we no longer use that claim. I feel it's too ambiguous to use. Now, others still do use that argument, and while I don't oppose them, I do encourage them to use the better evidence. True evidence for creation is strong and convincing, especially as we use that Back to Genesis perspective. This is Chris O'Brien. Thanks for going Back to Genesis. Donald Trump's America. President Trump, in the wake of comments last week about white nationalism being espoused by only a small group, was criticized after a self-proclaimed white supremacist killed 50 people at mosques in New Zealand. White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney on Fox News Sunday said the backlash is unfair. Every time something like this happens overseas, or even domestically, to say, oh my goodness, it must somehow be the president's fault, speaks to a, a politicization of everything that I think is undermining sort of the institutions that we, that we have in the country today. The president also lashed out again on Twitter about the Mueller investigation, blaming the late Senator John McCain for passing along the Steele dossier. On ABC's This Week, Democratic Senator Chris Coons called the attack out of line. Continued attacks on uh, now late Senator John McCain is something that's regrettable. Coons says McCain felt it was his duty to forward the document. The president maintains it brought on the witch hunt. Grinnell Scott, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, we have, to, uh, we have to deal with reality. This is a whole new age. And the president has the, the strongest, the most powerful platform for propaganda uh, that humans have ever had. No president has ever had this kind of reach combination of television, radio, the internet, social media, tweet. So, first of all, who let Dan Rather back out to make these kinds of inane nincompoop comments? Somebody should take him, and there are so many other people in his age group who he could spend time with playing shuffleboard or online games or connect for or whatever he wants to do. He could be working on the most epic garden ever. He could... Really, the, the sky's the limit as to what he could be doing besides dragging himself up onto our televisions to, to make comments like this. And, and I had nothing against people commenting and being active on into whatever age you do you. But if you're going to take yourself and plop yourself down in front of a camera and start making comments like this, you're going to open yourself up to me commenting on it. And I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I have no reason to engage in puffery here. Dude is is not firing all cylinders that is the most silly like that's utter silliness for him to say that because the president has a twitter account he has this propaganda operation now i know over the weekend um president trump launched into some attacks on you know different individuals he just he was just like wilding out 
And, um, you know, so what? So he was wilding out and what? I mean, <laughs> have y'all ever heard Anna Navarro on her, on CNN or on ABC on The View? There are a lot of people out there wilding out. The question is, what results are they bringing for what they promises they've made? And f- just for my mind, you know, he's he's going to do what he's going to do on Twitter. So what? The question is, what is he doing out of that White House press office? What kind of information are we getting? And we're going to have a uh, new press release coming out from Project 21 with comments from us on this latest round of proposals from the president um, that he's putting out about education that dovetail in with our proposals that we've made in the blueprint. And so, you know, I don't need credit. What I need is to see things moving and happening from the White House on policy and legislative action that we we hope to see taken up by the Congress. These recommendations will come from the White House and Congress will have a chance to either create legislation or maybe there'll be some rulemaking on it. I mean, the system is going to do what it's going to do, but let's hope that these things that dovetail in with what we've recommended, that they come to fruition and that we see people have more opportunities because of that. You know, and the president will be tweeting the whole time. And what and what are we going to do about it? Because commenting on it, Dan Rather hadn't changed anything. The president hasn't deleted any tweets. Um, I haven't even read the tweets. <laughs> That's where I am. I know he wilded out because people are kirking out about it. They're getting mad. They're getting upset. They're all triggered. He said stuff about you. You know what? <laughs> Did you just wake up today and realize he had a Twitter feed? Or has it not been this way for two years? Do you expect the change? Because you're not getting one. So go ahead on and just deal with what you got. Deal with it. And do it silently. Deal with it quietly. Play the quiet game. The quiet game is where when someone says quiet game, you have to be quiet. And the person who's quiet the longest is the winner. And the person who speaks first or second or third, depending on how many people are there, are all losers. So play the quiet game and either choose to read the tweets or do not. But don't make a big deal out of it because nothing new is happening right here. Nothing. All right. So then I want to get to uh, we have a couple of stories. This national popular vote. Uh, there's actually a story about that. And this is over at the Free Beacon. Um, and I want to give you that as well, um, because the national popular vote, I've had a couple of people email me about it and say, what's going on? What's happening? Um, and I so I have some information for you. But I first, we've got Joe Biden and people say he's leaving Easter eggs and the Easter eggs point to him declaring that he's going to run because Kirsten Gillibrand just put out some woman centric video over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, younger Hillary Clinton. Shut up. Anyway, it's going to be this thing with Joe Biden, like he's he's leading up to announcing And there's already a lot of speculation. I get a lot of emails that are press releases from PR companies that say the minute he announces he's the new nominee, which is interesting because he's a man and he's white and the Democrats hate white men. So what's up with that? Anyway, he, you know, YouTube's forever. And back in 1994, Joe Biden took to the Senate floor and he was talking about the crime bill that he put together and proposed. And this is the same crime bill that was eventually passed and signed into legislation in 1996 by President Bill Clinton. And it's the one in which we had a lot of Democrats trying to come out and be seen as very, very hard on crime and hard on criminals. And 
prior to that, the reputation had been that, you know, the Democrats were soft on crime. They were soft on foreign aggressors. They were really limp with limpless, limp wristed, lily livered, weak, not strong. And so in addition to Hillary Clinton making some very, very, very pointed comments, you had Joe Biden. And I have to say, this is where I just I get so I guess I get flummoxed. Y'all know I like that word. Um, Anytime I get to use it. It's a good day because it's a good vocabulary day. Anyway, I get a bit flummoxed because I feel like I'm agreeing with someone who lacks moral certitude. But this is not the same Joe Biden that we know of today. This is the Joe Biden from 1994 when Democrats were really, they differed from Republicans, but not as much as like, it wasn't like universes away from where we, we are or, you know, from where people on the right are. So I want you to listen to this. And I just, I just, I'm not sure if you're going to recognize him. Obviously he has the same voice, but the things that are coming out of his mouth, you're probably going to like, don't just put your drink down, swallow whatever you've, you, if you've got your coffee or your water, gulp that down and don't have it in your mouth when you listen, because you're going to be surprised to hear what he's going to say next. It's number four. About that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them born out of wedlock without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. It's a sad commentary, he said. (laughs) They are growing up without mothers and fathers, he said. And broken homes, he said. (laughs) Now, I'm not laughing at the scenarios he's describing. I'm laughing because that's Joe Biden, hardened Democrat, speaking from the Senate floor, passionately extolling the virtues of two-parent households and, uh, you know, strong parent bonds and, uh, you know, intact family units. Where did that Joe Biden go? I bet you if that Joe Biden showed back up and, you know, left all this other new Joe Biden stuff aside, he could probably get some votes from some Republicans, couldn't he? Talking like that. Of course, he's forgotten himself and he's not at all that person anymore. And he's not going to come back. Uh, You know, he's not going to do that. Uh, But I I just I'm kind of surprised. And this is one of those things where, you know, they believe in intact families because look at how they live. You know, when you look at the Democrats, look at Elizabeth Warren married to the same man her whole adult life. I mean, so many of them are very traditionally minded when it comes to family. But then if it's time to say something about it. They've got these factions within the Democratic Party. And if you say kids need a dad, 
You can't say that. That makes you a part of the patriarchy. You can't say kids need dads. That's sexist. Yeah. Uh, kids need a mom and a dad. You can't say that. Because that means they need a mom and a dad, which is a heterosexual cisgendered relationship. And that discounts all of the non-traditional family units that exist out there. And how horrible of you. I forget what exactly what sin it's called. It falls under some some specific sin. But anyway, it's just interesting to hear him saying those things. Now, admittedly, it's from 1994. And all of us are different than we were in 1994. I mean, back in 1994, I was a Democrat. Um, but I, I'm not the same age as Joe Biden, obviously. Um, I'm not that different from 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. But 1994, yeah, back then I was definitely a Democrat. I think, you know, he's right in the intent that he had. Communities were calling out for the criminals in their midst to be taken off the streets and stop giving them wrist slaps and actually put them in jail for a significant amount of time to, you know, stop them from reoffending and kit, you know, people wanted that. And so it was the right thing to do. Um, but he's going to have to pay a price for saying these things now. So while it's interesting and even a bit amusing to listen to this audio now on his end, he's got a comms team that has already gone through this and printed the transcript out and they're creating talking points on how he can make this speech. Okay. Now um, he can sound a bit contrite about it, you know, whatever they're, they're formulating plans on how to handle these bits of audio that exist from when he was a regular person. I'll just put it that way. All right. So um, I said, we would talk about this national vote compact and I caught this story over at uh, Free Beacon, and I'm going to make sure I get you exactly. So the, the, the big deal here is that the timing of a potential court case could actually create a Gore versus Bush style emergency. So what they have to do is first the states that are cobbling together enough electoral college votes to overturn the next election have to get enough to actually do it when the compact goes live and it's called the national popular vote interstate compact when it goes live then it will become something that can be challenged in court and so opponents of the national popular vote have long consoled themselves with the fallback idea that even if enough states might eventually join it it would likely be found unconstitutional. And here's what it really amounts to. The National Popular Vote compacts an agreement between states that enter into it to change the way a state casts all of their electoral college votes, typically awarding all of them to the candidate that wins a plurality in that state. Instead of doing that, they would, once the votes are tallied across the country, NPV compact states would cast their electoral college votes to the candidate who won the most votes nationwide regardless of whether or not the candidate carried the state. So instead of Democrats going state to state, county to county, city to city, door to door, and convincing Americans on the merit of their proposals and their past history of winning and legislating to good effect, Democrats have decided they'll just overturn national elections. They've tried to do it with the popular vote by shipping in illegal voters, three million or so, illegals voted in last election, hence Hillary Clinton's popular vote win. But that's not enough for them anymore. They can't wait. They can't earn it and get it 
the normal way. They have to steal it by hook or by crook. And so here they are. So here's the sample, uh, like the example of what would have happened from this piece here. It says if enough states had had the compact in place in 2016, it would have meant Hillary Clinton would have defeated Donald Trump because she won more votes nationwide. But it didn't happen because the NPV doesn't go into effect until the number of states that have joined have a combined electoral college vote count above 270, which is the number needed to win the presidency. The effort is still a long way from having enough participating states to effectively challenge or change how the Electoral College operates, and states that have joined so far are mostly Democratic strongholds. However, the NPV's advancement this spring in Colorado demonstrates progress in one of the most purple states to date, suggesting that the compact is less far-fetched than it was a decade ago. Now, constitutional legal challenges often take years leading forward-thinking opponents of the effort to ponder the earliest possible moment in which they could launch a legal challenge. And they want to avoid a Bush v. Gore-style emergency legal proceeding, which would decide the presidency, because that was what Democrats used to delegitimize President Bush for much of his presidency. They would talk about the hanging chads and the, uh, the fact that the Supreme Court decided they say all the Democrats were disenfranchised. They weren't, but that's what they say. So George Mason University legal professor Ilya Somin says it would be a very unpleasant and dangerous situation for the country if the lawsuit were to happen under those circumstances. And I agree. But that's not going to stop the Democrats from pushing this thing forward. They don't want to lose again because losing burns and they just can't handle it. All right. That's the show for today. We will be back with you tomorrow afternoon with more Stacey on the right. God bless you from the heartland. Enjoy your evening.